coming up on the Keto Camp Podcast, we bring on Joe Cohen. I think the, the keys there, really, there's, I would say there's three keys. Getting enough light, you know, getting enough light in the day, eating during in, in during the day, not at night, and then also exercising. If you get those three things during the day, then your circadian rhythm will be pretty good. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, Ben Azadi here, host of the Keto Camp Podcast. Thanks for pressing play today. We're going to have a fun conversation about genetics about my favorite part was the eight reasons why people are not feeling well. We talk about diets that are not suited for your individual biology, sleep deficit, sunlight, light exposure in general, disturbed circadian rhythms, stress, unhappiness. He gives a great tip about opening your windows every day in your house. You're going to learn why that's important. Infections, injuries, the lack of natural stressors. And of course, we talk about his company, Self-Hacked and Self-Decode. We talked about being genetically at risk to certain diseases versus those who have hit the genetic lottery. What do genes mean? What about epigenetics? How much emphasis should we put into genes? And he starts with his awesome story of how he changed his health for the better back when he was 25 years old. So you're gonna love this conversation. Make sure you grab a pen and paper, jot down notes, because this is going to change your life if you allow it to. Before I bring Joe on the show, I do want to take a minute here to get to the Apple Podcast rating and review of the day. This is a five-star review from Rika C88. 10 out of 10 recommended. I came across the Keto Camp Podcast just a few weeks ago, and I am so grateful I did. I can't listen to the episodes fast enough. Ben is so knowledgeable and shares his information, and it's so easy to understand and apply. I've been practicing fasting for a while now, but I've hit a plateau with weight loss. With the knowledge I've gained from this podcast, I'm so excited to start incorporating keto with my fasting. Thank you, Ben, for an amazing podcast. Rika, thank you. I I hope you were able to break through the plateau Definitely combining keto with fasting is a game changer. So kudos to you. Way to take action. And thanks so much for listening. You know, speaking of fasting, I'm going to be hosting a brand new webinar called The Art of Fasting. This webinar is free and has limited spots available. We're going to talk about the best schedules for fasting when it comes to weight loss and autophagy, 
how to achieve more autophagy, how to break your fast, how to combine keto with fasting. Now, this is a great webinar if you're new to fasting or have been doing fasting for quite some time. It's going to be a complete masterclass. So I encourage you, hopefully you're hearing this on time, head to www.intermittentfastingmasterclass.com or click the link in the podcast notes down below. Register your free spot. It's intermittentfastingmasterclass.com. I hope to see you on there. It's going to be an incredible fasting masterclass. I always say structure trumps intention. You could have all the best intentions in the world, but if you don't have the structure in place, it's going to be very difficult to get the amazing keto and fasting results that you want. If you are on the go traveling and you don't want to think about what can you eat to help you feel satisfied and to help you continue getting results on your keto journey. For me, my structure when I'm on the go, when I'm traveling, and when I want to have something nearby that's a healthy snack, my go-to is Paleo Valley's Beef Sticks. Paleo Valley Beef Sticks are the perfect gut-friendly, clean protein snack for on the go. And if you have children, this is one of the best things to give your kids. These beef sticks are 100% grass-fed and finished by farmers right here in the United States. They contain naturally occurring probiotics, which helps increase the diversity in your gut. It contains organic spices. It has high concentrations of omega-3 fatty acids, elevated levels of conjugated linoleic acid, which we know is an antioxidant and also could enhance your body's ability to burn fat. It contains vitamins and minerals, elevated concentrations of glutathione, which is your body's master antioxidant, and it's good for the environment. They have flavors that range from original to garlic summer sausage, regular summer sausage, jalapeno, teriyaki, and they also have turkey sticks available as well. They taste so good that I usually go through three or four, and I think I might set the record for eating almost 10 Paleo Valley beef sticks. Maybe somebody out there has eaten more than me in one sitting. You know, me and my fiance, Natasha, we're always fighting over these beef sticks in our house. We go into the pantry and I hear her unwrapping it and I'm like, hey, are you eating one of my beef sticks? <laughs> they are delicious. And since you are a avid listener of the Keto Camp podcast, we worked out an exclusive deal for you to get 15% off your entire order of Paleo Valley products. All you need to do is head to paleovalley.com and use the coupon code KETOCAMP15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order. That is KETOCAMP15 at checkout. We'll also drop a link down below in the show notes. Okay, let's talk about self-decoding and self-hacking your lifestyle with Joe Cohen. Joe Cohen won the genetic lottery of bad genes. You're going to hear about his story shortly. Frustrated by the lack of good information and tools, Joe decided to embark on a journey of self-experimentation and self-learning to improve his health, something that has since become known as biohacking. After creating the Biohacker's Ultimate Resource website, Self-Hacked, Joe moved on to found Self-Decode, the ultimate biotech software platform for DNA and lab-based health recommendations. Today, Joe leads a team of trained scientists, MDs, PhDs, and skilled engineers at Self-Decode to help thousands of people take their health into their own hands with holistic and natural recommendations based on their own health data. Self-Hacked is a leader in biohacking content with about 2 million views a month. Here's Joe Cohen. 
Joe Cohen, welcome to the Keto Camp Podcast, my friend. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm grateful to have you here today. I want to start the conversation with your story, which is really interesting. Age of 25, you were sick, you were broke, you were unemployable, you were pretty much miserable. And what happened at that point of your life? So I had like a lot of health issues going on at that point. And, you know, I was trying a lot of different things, but what was clear was just, uh, you know, trying things and not really understanding what was going on was not a good strategy for me. Didn't work out very well. So I was trying to do a lot of different things. And then I just realized I couldn't get anything done. I couldn't even go to school. I couldn't have relationships. I couldn't get a job just in a very tight spot because uh, my health wasn't in a good space or a good place. What led up to that? Was it, I know it, it was a multitude of things, but what were like the main contributing factors to why your health was so uh, in such shambles back then? I think, uh, well, there, there was one episode where, where I try to, try to cons- like, I, okay, so I was always trying to optimize my health, even from a young age, but I, I guess I was trying different things, and I, I sometimes I went to like vegan. Sometimes I went to like uh, you know I tried a bunch of different things, and you know I got into like the coconut oil craze, and then that really was not like I was just taking tons of it, and uh, that was not good for me. So that I kind of like crashed, my health crashed from that, but it wasn't at a good place to begin with, and I just wasn't in an optimal position. I didn't feel optimal. I wasn't able to, you know, live life to the fullest. And that, and then what did you figure out along the way? When did you decide to start studying genes and, and looking at your biochemical uniqueness as a human being? So when I, uh, it was at the similar point where I, you know, I said, okay, first I need to understand a lot of biology, how the body works and how different things interact. And then things were getting like, you know, there was, it started, the the genetic sequencing started to come out. And I said, you know, this is very interesting. I started reading some studies and it was very clear that there were genes uh, influencing things. And based on those genes, you could kind of tell what were the, what were the biochemical pathways in your body that may have been not working that well, right? And then also, you know, based on that, you could then like maybe look into things and see like what are ways to bypass it. Now, that's like a very technical way to look at it. But what I realized was there was, you know, I was doing a lot of research and what I realized was that there was a lot of opportunity within genes to to basically optimize our health. Uh, and lab tests too. I was very into my labs. I always saved every lab I had for a really long time for like the past 15 years. So I always knew that like the keys to the kingdom are in my data. And I just have to figure out like what this means. I got to get the data and then, you know, figure out what it means. I, I love the idea of looking at lab work. Uh, what, what I've seen with a lot of health practitioners and even just people getting lab work They'll get the results, but they don't know what to do with the results, right? Uh, they're looking at, I don't know, ALT, AST, and they see that their enzymes are high. Like, what do you do? What, is that, what does that actually mean, right? So the interpretation of it and the lens that you and I look at it from is a much narrow reference range than the general reference ranges. 
So when it comes to labs, let's talk about that right now. What are some of your favorite markers that you run on yourself and you recommend those people that are listening to the show get? And what do you do with those markers once you get the results from them? Yeah, so uh, what I do is um, I used, you know, I used to like really look up every single marker in depth, and and I think that you know was useful to learn. But now what I do is, I mean, I actually just use our own software at Self Decode to be very honest, and I just upload like I upload my labs and I see what it is that comes up suboptimal, and then I read up about those labs on the site, and I look at what kind of behaviors can alter those labs. You know, what are the recommendations? And, you know, and, and, and then I also look at my genetic reports that maybe are related to those different, you know, for uh, related issues. What we're doing is we're combining the labs and the genetics and environmental assessments into one report that are, you know, as if based on the, the topic, if they're all related. And, and you're referring to your website, um, self hacked.com or is that selfdecode.com? Which one is that? Selfdecode. Selfdecode.com. So you're actually providing the solution to the problem that I see, which is people don't know what to do with their lab work or what exactly it means. So let's give a practical example. Somebody does lab work and they see they get homocysteine done and their homocysteine is 14. It's elevated. What, what would that mean? And what genes would you look at with homocysteine? So I, I think most people are not going to look at, I mean, you could look at MTHFR. That would be the, the common answer. I just think that when you go down these rabbit holes, they're interesting, they could be interesting, but I think that the, the average person does not, is not gonna wanna go down these rabbit holes and it's not always very insightful. Meaning like you really have to kind of understand what you're doing and so, you know, the version one platform we built kind of like with biohackers in mind so that, you know, people can go down these rabbit holes more. With the second version, you know, you want to look at homocysteine itself. And if that's elevated, you might look at your genetic cardiovascular risk, or there could be a genetic risk overall for homocysteine. So instead of looking at homocysteine and like looking at a very specific gene, you could actually look at the risk for having high homocysteine itself from a genetic perspective. And, and that would be looking at many thousands of variants or up to a million variants instead of you know, looking at one gene or two variants. Understood. Yeah, something that we, that we need to keep in mind is that the number of SNPs that we have, it's like uh, 83 million, right? And you know, most of them are not really doing much, but uh, some of them are, you know, I mean, probably a few million of them could be quite impactful, right? And so when you're just looking at one of them, it's not really giving you the whole story. But uh, if you're looking at a topic and we generate the risk, then that's, and we're looking at all the variants, right? because we're using big data and AI models to do that. And then we look at the most important genes that are related to it and then, you know, bring those up as to, uh, they can alter the recommendations a bit to show like, okay, you should, you know, people who maybe exercise more or people, you know, if there's a certain supplement or whatever it is, you know, they're, they're more likely to, you know, have lower blood sugar 
based on this to lower the blood sugar. So we integrate those recommendations and yeah, but I, I think people for it really to get widespread, I think people need to look at the whole picture. Sometimes people can get lost in the uh, minutia. I think that could be useful if you're like a scientist, right? But as a regular consumer, I would say, look at the big picture, follow it up with labs, uh, with environmental assessments, so and uh, so that you could see like what uh, things are increasing your risk. And how does it work for those listening? So they, they get a membership over at selfdecode.com, which you guys gr- graciously gave us a coupon code for Keto Campers to get 10% off, which is just Keto Camp at uh, a checkout. They get their membership. And then just walk us through how, how it works with the genetic testing and the lab work. Yeah, so um, either an individual will have a genetic sequencing done and they could use that, or if they don't, they could buy one from us. And so they, they get one from us. Uh, it you know it takes anywhere between four and six or eight weeks to come back. You know, th- there's there's a, a, a range, but... Uh, you know, it takes some time to get back and then the results automatically get uploaded. But in the meantime, individuals are able to upload their labs, upload uh, their symptoms or, you know, uh, fill out questionnaires that will help personalize their experience in the app. Great. I love that. Very easy to do. And we're going to put a link down below for the listeners to go check it out with the coupon code. So is it safe to say, Joe, that you've probably worked with you know, at least a thousand people, thousands of people over the years. Uh, personally, individually, or the company? Has... Indiv- individually. Individually, uh, yeah, I would say uh, anywhere between one and two thousand. So, and I know you gave a lecture, and based off of those people you've worked with, you've you've seen eight big reasons why people are not feeling well, and I'd love to kind of dive deep into those eight areas. And the first one on the list is unsuitable diet for individual biology. So could you speak on that? Yeah. So, you know, I think that diet is something that's very individual. Uh, So the thing is, I, I think that like, I think there's a lot of, for example, a lot of benefit to the keto diet, right? I follow a low carb diet myself. Okay. And I think a lot of the people that are attracted to a diet, they notice they feel better from it. And that's why they're, they get into it, right? Um, or they just want to try it out. So I personally uh, do a low carb kind of diet. It's not a high carb. It's, you know, I, I don't include grains or beans. It's somewhat paleo. You know, I, I wouldn't say it's keto, but like when I do keto, there's definitely benefits from that diet. There's no question about it. So I think it's, it's a great diet. Um, I think you you do like on and off keto, and I think that's even better, right? Because being in keto all the time is is problematic. But so the on and off, I think is a, is a great thing. I think that it could be very beneficial, and and I think there's you know there's a lot of education on that. Now, with that said, I don't think a hundred percent of people would do great on keto, and that's just based on people I've met, uh, clients I've dealt with, different kinds of people. Now. Is there a role for it? Yeah, I like it. You know, I know a lot of people who it's worked miracles for, right? So, but the thing is, is that uh, I think, you know, so you have like uh, people who are vegans and they're like the vegan diet is the only diet that can be good, right? I I think there is a wide range of genetics 
that you know we're we're you know genetically adapted to different diets and i think for me i'm more adapted to a meat-based diet rather than a plant-based diet or you know at least I, i'll eat vegetables that's fine that's healthy uh but i don't do well with grains and beans and i never did well with it i think as people get older they they're less tolerant to things like that grains and beans and so I think the keto diet does a good job of taking that stuff out and also getting the ketosis, which has a lot of benefits. Uh, and then when you combine it with fasting, I think when you do keto, I think you do need to combine it with a fair bit of fasting, which I think is something you, you talk about as well. Yeah. So it's kind of like, uh, you know, it's almost like, uh, first of all, I think certain individuals are more predisposed to it. And then the other thing is even the individuals who are more predisposed, there's ways to improve it and that's by including intermittent fasting and doing and, and doing things like that so you know and, and and again if you're eating more of a carb rich diet it doesn't go as well it doesn't fit as well with intermittent fast so i think that diet is something very individual and i think that it's something that people need to see as individual and and i think genetics has something to say about that right how people digest carbs. We know there's genes, there's amylose genes related to that. Uh, so we know there's genes related to how people interact with their diet. And, um, and it's clear just from looking at you know, the world that there's a range of effects. For those doing keto, what are some of the genes they should pay attention to? That's a good question. So uh, the genes specifically for keto, I mean, there's a lot of genes that are related to how people process fat. Those could be PPAR alpha, PPAR gamma genes. You know, it's it's going to be genes related. It could be adiponectin genes. It's genes related to how well people process uh, fat. But, it, you know, and, and the main processing in the body of fat has to do with PPAR gamma and PPAR alpha. Another reason to get the testing done to know if you have that. I mean, some people will do keto and they won't feel that great, right? And it could be the fact that they're just having a hard time breaking down the fat, but they don't know unless they test, right? So that's great. PPAR alpha is probably one of the main ones because if you can't produce that in well enough, then you're not going to be breaking down the fats fast enough and then they accumulate. So things like fasting or cold exposure, they increase PPAR alpha and so that's kind of why you know people who are into keto, they're also into a whole bunch of other biohacking stuff because it, it often goes together very well. It's it's like a a good hack, but you know I think there's a lot of people that just want to like live a very normal life. They're not going to really do cold exposure. They're not going to do intermittent fasting, and so you know changes the equation a bit. Right? Yeah, absolutely, it does, and it's different for everybody. To your point, so we focus a lot on on supporting the liver and supporting bioflow to help break down fat. We have a strong emphasis on that, whether you have that gene or not. Uh, it's important to support that liver to break down the fat. So that's great. So unsuitable diet for individual biology is number one, figure out which diet works for you, how long you should follow the diet, what you should switch to. You know, Pairing it with intermittent fasting could be a great idea. The second one is a sleep deficit. I talk a lot about sleep. I have a book about sleep as well. And I think it's the Swiss army knife of health. It's so foundational, but people don't really 
uh, prioritize it because it's not sexy to speak about. So what is a sleep deficit and, and what's the problem you see with sleep? So I think sleep is, is an art, you know, it's, you can not get good sleep in a bunch of different ways. There could be a bunch of different causes. It's not something that like, Oh, sleep. Well, it's something that you need to invest the time into, you know, and your genes obviously influence that in different ways. And, you know, for example, we do have a sleep report and, you know, but besides that, I think sleep is something that people have to be conscious of and, uh, not just take it for granted, right? Like, oh, I should just sleep well every day. Well, I don't know many, very many people that just get great sleep every night without, you know, really trying. And so, you know, I think that there's a lot of things that could go wrong with sleep. You might not get enough REM or slow wave sleep. You might wake up in the middle of the night too much. You might go out, you go have to wake up to pee uh, too early. Uh, you might not get enough sleep. You might not get a good rhythm of sleep. You know, you might wake up in from the light too early. You, or you might get, there, there might be light in, in the bedroom at night or the temperature might not be good. As you can see, there's like, you might be eating too late and that could interfere with your sleep. The point is, is that there's kind of like a lot of things related to sleep. And I think sleep is one of the fundamentals, right? If you, if you don't sleep well, you're not going to feel very good. If you sleep well, your day is going to be a lot better. And, and it's something that is just fundamental to health. And yeah. Agreed. And if you're not tracking it, you don't know. A lot of people will say, yeah, I sleep just fine. I sleep, you know, eight hours a night, but how much REM sleep are you getting? How much deep sleep are you getting? So that's also why I track it with the aura. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, yeah, me too. So the aura ring is great. What do you personally aim to get in terms of how how much REM sleep you want to get each night versus deep sleep? Like what is your optimal range for you? So for deep sleep, I'll usually target at least three hours. Do you get that Um, usually? I get that pretty often. It's pretty good. And for REM sleep, I target two hours. And you get that pretty often? I usually get one and a half. Yeah, me too. I usually get one and a half of REM and and about two and a half of deep. So those are some solid numbers right there. If you're able to get three hours of deep, two hours or so of REM, you're going to feel pretty good the next day. And and keto or paleo, whatever diet you're following is going to work that much better. Yeah, I try to get, I mean, more realistically, I try to get one and a half of REM. Um, one and a half. Okay. What you're getting. There is a balance. Yeah. There is a balance because the more deep sleep you get, the less REM you're going to get. It just, so something like, um, you know, marijuana could increase deep sleep, but it's going to decrease REM. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And they're both very beneficial. Not, there's not one that's more important than the other. They both have very Correct. important. Correct. You need both of them. If you yeah. don't, if you get a lot of one and not the other, it's not good. Yeah. So my fiance typically gets about three hours and 15 minutes of deep and about like 45 minutes REM. So for her, we need, we were working on, you know, let's get a little bit less deep. So, you know, potentially. Well, it doesn't have to be less deep, just more REM. More REM. Yeah. But, but I think what's happening is the room is so cold that she's getting too much deep, deep sleep because of that. So we need to find a way the second half of the sleep cycle to warm her up a bit. So it might take away a little bit of the deep, but then she'll get more REM. Right. Um, so there's some, so that the conversation is cool because we're looking at the metrics and we could actually see that, but it's not until you know that 
that you can make the, the changes. But you're so right, Joe. Sleep deficit or sleep quality, I should say, is imperative no matter what diet you follow, what intermittent fasting schedule you follow. If you're not sleeping high quality sleep, it's going to be very difficult to get the results you want. It'll age you faster than you like. You're going to be hungrier, hangrier, less satisfied when you eat in a sympathetic state, just all bad things. I want to take a quick break here to share with you about the dangers of taking fish oil. I know, shocking. I was somebody who took fish oil every single day for years. And then I came across a ton of research showing the dangers of consuming fish oil. I immediately found an amazing product called Pureform. Pureform is a plant-based omega. And the cool thing about Pureform is that it is uniquely processed with nitrogen to preserve it and make sure it does not oxidize. These essential fatty acids are cold pressed and you get the proper balance of omega-6 and omega-3 to feed your cells what it desires. We know that life begins and ends at the cell membrane. And when you have the proper fats, the building blocks for those cell membranes, all of a sudden your fat burning hormones can do its job. So you lose weight. All of a sudden your cells produce energy. So you feel good. So we know that cellular health is key for performance and longevity. So I've been taking Pureform every single day. My dog takes it every single day. So does my girlfriend and my mom. This is how much I love the product. If you want to get your bottle delivered to your door, head over to purelifescience.com. Check them out. Order a bottle or two, and you'll be amazed by how you feel after taking this just after a few days. That is purelifescience.com. Use the coupon code BEN4 to apply a $4 off coupon. That is BEN, B-E-N, and the number four. International shipping is available. Okay, let's go back into this episode of the Keto Camp Podcast. Next on the list, and you actually said this is one of your favorite biohacks for being more productive, is light exposure. So getting sunlight and even like red light therapy. Why do you love that? I think light is very critical to a lot of things. It's, it's a very fundamental thing in our lives. If you don't go outside during the day, you're just not going to feel as good, right? I think uh, for me, I, have, I noticed a big effect if I don't go out side and get a lot of light in a day. Like I need at least three, four, five hours of light a day. And I notice an impact. Uh, you know, there, there's diminishing returns after after some time, but I think the first couple hours you get really good returns. After that it diminishes. But you know, making sure you get out two hours a day and really get good light exposure at a minimum is important. And and I'm talking about like Ideally more, right? I'm not talking about being in a car while you're driving to work. I'm talking about really getting, you know, solid light and sun. Taking off your sunglasses, letting it penetrate correct, your retina. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> I never wear sunglasses. Me neither. Yeah. <laughs> because I, I'm like, I'm just like, why would I diminish what I want to try to magnify? <laughs> like, Correct. I want more light. Give me more. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I'm like you. Me too. I get a lot of sun. And what about red light? Are you a fan of red light therapy? Yes, but not. I don't practice it anymore because you know if you get enough sun, I don't think there's a significant benefit. I mean, maybe if there's like a localized injury that you want to get more 
But for me, I don't notice a benefit if I'm getting enough sun. Sun is number one. I mean, it's a natural free resource as well. Might as well go that route. But if you're somebody who can't really go outside that much, then red light therapy could be you know, a second option for you. If you live in London where it's cloudy all the time, there's still benefits yeah. to being outside, but you know, you might want to supplement with red light therapy. Uh, okay, then the next tip is you know, aligned with this third tip. The tip number four is, the, I mean, the reason why people don't feel well, number four is disturbed circadian rhythms. So talk about that and how do you fix that? So I think uh, disturbed circadian rhythms is, you know, is part of the light component, but it's also eating cycles. It's, there's, there's a lot that goes into it, but uh, it's mainly like light and eating cycles, uh, you know, and, and not like working shift work, right? That, mm-hmm. That's not good. You know, so I, I think that's a very significant component. People get into like cycles and you want to ride those cycles. So getting morning sunlight would be great. You know, sunset light would be great to sync the circadian rhythm. I think the, the keys there, really, there's, I would say there's three keys. Getting enough light, you know, getting enough light in the day, eating during, in, in during the day, not at night, and then also exercising. If you get those three things during the day, then your circadian rhythm will be pretty good. And you want to do those things earlier, the better. So you get up, you get light, you go, you get exercise, uh, you eat, you, you know, and, and so you kind of recharge, you know, you, you, you reset your rhythm. You mentioned that in that lecture that I'm thinking about, if you're going to eat something unhealthy, that having it later in the day versus the morning, there would be a better response from your immune system. Do you remember well, that? If, if you're, yeah, if you're uh, sensitive to, like, let's say, plant-based foods, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, like nightshades, lectins, oxalates, correct, correct. Yep. See, so your your immune system is stronger in the day. It it shoots up in the day, meaning like if you have a stimulus, it's going to fire on all cylinders. And so, when you wake up, your immune system is recharged from sleep, and if you eat something that you're sensitive to, you're going to have a much harder response. You know, and, and that stands for the afternoon as well. So it's like morning, afternoon. In the evening, your immune system is already more tame. And so if you eat something that you might be sensitive to, you're not going to react as much as if you ate it during the day. Okay. So there's not going to be that overreaction from the immune system if you have it later in the day versus early in the day. What about carbohydrates? Better to have it in the morning or later in the day? Uh, Later in the day. Why is that? You're more insulin sensitive later in the day. And also has to do with immune reasons. But, you know, carbohydrate containing foods usually have a lot of plant toxins and, Mm. and they stimulate the immune system. So I think it's better just carbs in general for the insulin sensitivity and also for the immune stimulation to do that at night. Agreed. I do that as well. When I have a high carb day, I'll have it later in the day. And and we're saying not before bed, just later on in the day because you don't want to eat before bed. Correct. Correct. All right. Next is excess stress and unhappiness. 
what do you see with stress is three different areas, right? There's mental, emotional stress, physical stress, chemical stress. So what specifically with the stress and then unhappiness, just, you know, not living a life of purpose. So what do you mean by that? Okay, so it's very clear that one of the main contributors to longevity and health has to do with stress. You know, you could even put that as number one. The exact order is going to change for each individual, right? So uh, some people could be more impacted by stress than other things. But what's clear is that stress is, you know, it's related to every condition. It's um, something that we all experience. And I think that the people who live longer, they deal with stress a lot better. They're, they're usually happier, right? And that's kind of something that is uh, known in the research. And, you know, if you want to know, like, what it is about stress that, you know, so how, what do you do about stress, right? So, I mean, stress really is very detrimental to the body in many ways. But in terms of what do you do, I think stress, like you said, it could either be related to your job, right? You're, you're not feeling purpose in what you're doing. Uh, it's often related to a relationship. You know, a mismatch in a relationship can cause a lot of stress. Also, personal relationships, if, you know, whether it's family or friends, if you don't have good personal relationships, it could also cause stress or business relationships. Stress really comes from a misalignment in relationships. I think not, you know, uh, relating to the people, not being with the people that you like or that you, you jive with can cause stress. And, you know, even people you drive with, they can still be stressful some, you know, once in a while, but it's just not significant, right? It's like, uh, so I think the relationships is the biggest one, right? Whether it's work, whether it's dating, whether it's um, friends, family, uh, you know, that's what causes people to be stressed. The other thing I think is a lack of community. So it's more of a lack of people, uh, which you could say is relationships, right? Really, mm -hmm. it's relationships. It's either a lack of it or friction in existing ones. Or you don't want to disappoint someone or you don't, you know, you don't want to look like an idiot or something like that. It's always has to do with relations with other people. So, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, when it comes to stress, I think it's, the the best thing someone can do, you know, there's natural behaviors you can do. And then there's, uh, you know, we have actually a report on stress and, and different kinds of mental health reports, which can help people. Sometimes it's biological too, right? And I think it's always, well, let's put it this way. It's always biological. There's always a component to it, but it's not just biological, of course, right? And, and the non -bi the biological part is biochemical part, it's genetics, it's different kinds of things like that. The non-biochemical part has to do with people, mm -hmm. uh, either friction or the lack of people. And I think, you know, maybe, I don't, I don't know if it, it doesn't cause stress. I don't know if it's like, I don't know, but I guess people not liking what they do, but I think that often has to do with people also. Usually when people don't like their job, they don't like working with the people they're working with. Absolutely. Uh, maybe they don't like the boss. Maybe they don't like, you know, if you absolutely hate doing something, then yeah. I mean, why did you pick that to begin with? You just switch. But 
in terms of just like what are, what's the main trigger is relationships or the lack thereof. And so I think um, a lack of relationships is is a, is a very big thing in my opinion, and it's something that the U.S. the way the U.S. is built is is not around the community, community uh, living, right? And that's kind of why you see sometimes like certain religious groups like Seventh Day Adventists they they kind of live longer, and it's because they have a community, right? But besides certain groups like the Mormons or the Seventh-day Adventists, you don't have, you know, communities in the U.S. You just have isolated individuals doing their own thing. You know, there's no community centers. I think, you know, in the past, religion used to be the, the center for community. And I still think that people who are part of that, uh, that's, you know, they get some of that. But I don't think it's like very significant, to be honest. That's a, more of a U.S. thing than anywhere else, in my opinion. You can't underestimate the value of community. I, I always tell people, because I, I get the question a lot, especially during this time of year, during the holidays, you know, what do I do if I had this big meal on Thanksgiving or I'm going to be eating all this sugar and, and cakes and, and non-keto foods on Thanksgiving? I'm like, look, the, the most important thing is to enjoy yourself, be present, enjoy the people around you. You can't discount the health benefit from enjoying that meal with people you love, even if it's not a healthy meal. You, you know, the value is in the enjoyment and the presence of the people around you. And then you just go back on your regular diet or whatever it is the next day. To your point, we become our environment. So if we're hanging around five people who are you know, watching the news all the day, all day, they're complaining, they're gossiping, they're unhappy, then we're going to be the sixth person. But if we hang around like-minded individuals who are uplifting and inspiring and doing great things in the world, then we're going to be happier because of our environment. So it's important to do that audit and start making some changes if you need to. So great, great share there, Joe. Next is lack of a natural, of natural stressors. So are you referring to hormesis in this case? Yeah, I'm talking about things like uh, exercise. You know, there could be many natural stressors. It could be cold. It could be heat stressors. Uh, it could be you know any any kind of stressors, uh, environmental stressors that you know natural stressors that you get. And vegetables are stressors as well. Right? Yeah, changing your yeah. diet is a stressor too. Yeah. Going in out of consistency. Sun is a yep. stressor. So a lot of these things have to do with each other, but basically if you're not stressing your mind, your body, and again, it's not people stress, right? Maybe a little bit is, is healthy, but like we're not talking about chronic people stress, right? That, that's not the stress I'm talking about. It's, it's environmental stressors that people have evolved with and that, that have benefits and you don't want to get too much, but you don't want to get too little. Yeah. Yeah, so important. Find your hermetic zone and, and stay in there, right? So if you start working out for the first time in years, you don't do a CrossFit workout. You start jogging and start doing some light stuff and build your way up. If you're not getting sun for years, you get 10 minutes of sun and build your way up. If you haven't fasted ever, like don't do a 24-hour fast. So like build correct. up that muscle to your point. Yeah, fasting is another hormesis, correct? Yeah. Okay, great. And then we have two more. Number seven, this is a topic that I cover a lot. Toxicity, environmental toxicity. So what are the main ones and why is it beneficial to open up your windows every single day, which I do here? So I think the main ones would be like VOCs, could be mold and or environmental pollution. 
So it's not something you could control, but it does have an impact. So if you're living in like Delhi or something, my advice is to move out, right? Yeah. <laughs> there's no way, to, there's no two ways about it. Yeah. But often, you know, you could live in a nice, you know, a new city and then you could have either leaks or mold or you could have a new apartment with a bunch of different VOCs. And, mm -hmm. and if, if it's not ventilated, problem. So a solution would be to open up your windows, right? On every single day? Yeah, yeah, as much as possible. As much that, as that's possible. That's the easiest, yeah, that's the easiest way. Uh, maybe an air purifier, but mm -hmm. opening up the windows is the, the most simple solution. It's so simple. And, and getting outside, yeah. Yeah, and getting outside. And it's so simple, but a lot of people, they don't do it. Their windows are closed all day for weeks and for months. And now you're getting this buildup of toxicity and also another benefit to opening up the windows, you breathe in that air and, you, and it changes your microbiome, right? It helps the immune system. So open up the windows. I have both. I open up my windows and I have an EnviroCleanse um, air, air purification machine. I'm in Miami, Florida, Joe. So you could imagine mold is like <laughs> rampant here. My old house had mold all over the place. I'm in a new apartment building, but I have the VOC. So I need to open up the windows every day. I, I don't think like uh, mold because you're in Miami is necessarily, I mean, like that could be right. If it's, if you're in a, if, you know, I think the most common is leaks. That's more common than just being in a, in a humid place. Right. Yeah. You could have like mold next to your windowsill, but that's not the mold that's going to damage your health. It's, if there's like chronic leaks and, and your place smells moldy or like a bathroom smells moldy, that's where it uh, gets unhealthy. Yeah. It, it's it's not just because I live in Florida that I'm saying that, but I've seen it. I've seen uh, HVACs get full of mold and nasty right. black yeah, mold. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, for sure. For and sure. that's what I'm referring to. And it happened to me in my old house. And it's a nasty environmental toxin to your point. So yeah, make sure you're limiting your, your stress bucket by avoiding these toxins or limiting these toxins. The last one here is infections and injuries speak on that joe so there's a lot of health issues that occur because of infections and injury and and these things like basically cause inflammation and then the body doesn't re-regulate itself the way it should necessarily and so you know we, right now we have covid and there's long covid right but there's a whole bunch of infections COVID is one of them, um, you know, it's, it, but you see that you get an infection. A lot of times people are not exactly the same. It doesn't matter what it is. I mean, COVID has become a political issue, but mm -hmm. uh, to the right and left. But I think that before COVID came along, you know, infections always contributed to the disease burden in the population. Um, it could even be the flu, right? You know, it could be any kind of uh, infections they they cause they, they spike inflammation and then sometimes your body uh, cannot bring it down that well and so that causes damage yeah and they're hidden most people don't even know that it's causing this chronic low-grade inflammation we've done episodes on on cavitations for example that are you know hidden infections in the mouth which are so common if you've ever had a tooth extracted so it's important to have these conversations so people become aware and they start doing some research right that's a good point. Uh, uh, having an infection in, in the teeth is, is very common. It doesn't have to be a viral infection, right? And, and then also injuries. People get injured 
uh, all the time. And, you know, people do wild sports, they get injuries, and, you know, it's, it's a source of chronic inflammation. So, you know, a lot of times people just get chronic inflammation from, like, you know, being way too, get, doing way too much exercise in, in a certain area or yeah, something to be careful about. Yeah, I mean, if you see, I used to own a CrossFit gym here in Miami. So if you see a lot of these CrossFit athletes the last two years that have gotten really sick from COVID, they overtrain, you know, just because they look super healthy on the outside. They're highly inflamed because of this excessive exercise. It doesn't mean they're healthy. So you have to find the, the right balance there. Okay, I want to finish up the conversation, Joe, asking you a few questions about self-decode that I'm sure the audience might be wondering. And then we'll, we'll wrap this up. This has been a lot of fun. I think it's been very valuable. And it's helped the audience become aware, whether it's one or two or all eight of those things we spoke about. I, I want them to kind of get those aha moments where they, oh, I think that's what's going on with me. And then they go and do more research. So thank you for that. What's the difference between genetic risk and overall risk? And how do you can even find these out? So uh, it's important to understand the difference. So there's many things that could contribute to your risk, right? Risk is just a probabilistic number, right? What's your risk for this? What does that mean? It just means what's the probability that you're going to get this. Now, when you say genetic risk, if you're genetically high at high risk for something, to say that it, it means your absolute risk is false because you could be genetically inclined to something but actually have low risk to it. Right, and that's because you're counteracting that based on your environment. You're you're being very healthy. You're doing a lot of things that you should be doing. Uh, you're living a healthy lifestyle. So, even if you have high risk for diabetes, if you are consuming the right diet for you and exercising and you know doing the things that we mentioned here, right? You will not get diabetes. Like, it just won't happen. Uh, no matter what your genetic risk is, now we, we understand that there's also people who eat crap. And out of those people, not everyone gets diabetes. Maybe half of them, maybe a third of them, who knows, right? I don't know. So what that means is, is that there is a genetic component, and even people who eat healthy could have higher blood sugar levels on average. I'm, I'm an example of that. I have higher blood sugar levels even if I eat super healthy. Now, it's not anywhere close to diabetes. It's still in like pretty optimal range, but uh, you could see that even within, you know, there, there's a range of there, that. And um, so being at high risk for something, you know, people sometimes uh, don't understand this and they might say, hey, it's just some high risk for this. You know, you're, you could be high risk for a lot of different things that you don't have. And partially is because maybe you're just young enough, right? Mm -hmm. Or you're living healthy enough, one or the other, right? So if you're a newborn, you're not going to have diabetes. <laughs> it's not happening, you know, no matter how high your genetic risk is. So mm -hmm. having high genetic risk doesn't mean you're at high risk. If you're one years old, your risk of diabetes is extremely low, even if you have this diet possible. Yep. It's just because babies are growing. The system is just built so that they, they're not getting diabetes at, at one years old, right? They're just burning that energy like no one's business. They're actually in, they're going in and out of ketosis. If they're breastfed, they're going in because they're so efficient, like to your point, at burning down the glucose. Yeah. Yeah. But it, let's say they're three years old or they're not breastfed anymore. They're still not going to be diabetic at three years old, right? Right. Yep. 
it's just, it doesn't happen, right? Maybe you're starting to see like kids who are eating McDonald's all day can get diabetic at 10 or 12 or whatever. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's still rare. It's still extremely rare. So the answer is that being high risk, genetic risk, doesn't mean that you will get a condition at all. Most of the time you won't get it actually. So that's something important to know. Uh, being low risk doesn't mean you won't get it because you could be low risk for diabetes and then eat crap all your life and then eventually get it, right? It's a matter of age and how you're living. So it's just kind of looking at the population of like natural tendencies and uh, predicting. And the way to look at it is, you know, if you're anywhere below the 80th percentile, it's usually not clinically relevant or significant. It's just you want to look at if you're at the high risk, maybe the 80th, 90th, 95th percentile, then it could be interesting. And again, you might not, most likely you don't have whatever it is, but you want to preempt it with prevention, with uh, being aware of it, maybe tracking certain lab markers that are related to it and being healthy so that, you know, uh, you can prevent whatever it is you want to prevent. And, and we're, you know, self-decode tells you what are the highest value things that you could do. And that, that list is also impacted by your genetics. So it's a, it's a precision health list and it allows you to track your lab results. It allows you to put in your environmental risks and, and, and uh, we can give you your, you know, risks based on that. So it's, it's a comprehensive system. I think it's awesome. I think it's super cool. You're taking the genes, which gives you some really good clues on what to identify and what areas to work with. And then you're giving personalized results or personalized action steps based off of those clues, based off of the lab work. So highly recommend everybody go and do it. Super cool. I actually logged, you sent me some of the login info today. I looked in there and I saw kind of how it works. And I thought it was really easy to understand when you're looking at it, but also really custom to the person. So selfdecode.com, keto camp at checkout, you'll get 10% off your memberships. And anything you want to share to close out the episode, Joe, with the audience? Yeah, I think based on, you know, just to sum up what we discussed, I think, you know, health is individual. And I think knowledge is power. And we're in an age where we have uh, data, big data, a lot of knowledge out there. And, um, you know, I think for me, I, I figured that the biggest lever that I can pull was improving my health and that would improve everything else. And, and I was right about that. And so I think um, regardless of any pandemics, I think health is really important. Amen. Besides selfdecode.com, where else can they find you? What's your uh, so main social media anywhere else? They, in, in, on Instagram, it's uh, Mr. Biohacker. They can follow me there. It's a great name, Mr. Biohacker. So at Mr. Biohacker, we'll put a link down below. Yeah, it's MR. It's not the whole Mr. MR uh, Biohacker. That's yeah. MR Biohacker. Um, Joe, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your expertise and experience. Um, I had a lot of fun chatting with you. You're doing great work with your company. I'm excited to see some of the cool things you do next year, 2022 and beyond. And uh, I look forward to more collaborations and just let's keep up the good work and educating the masses. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Joe. As we mentioned on the show, we are giving Keto Camp listeners 10% off coupon code 
off their self-decode memberships. Head to www.selfdecode.com. Use KetoCamp at checkout to get 10% off. We will also drop a link down below. Share this episode with somebody you believe could get value from this conversation. Check out the links and resources in the show notes down below. It, it also includes the podcast sponsors and coupon codes and everything mentioned can be found down below. I hope you're more empowered to understand that your body could heal. Whatever resonated with you the most out of those eight reasons, take action with it. Master one of them, move on to the other one, build these healthy habits, find out what genes you have, customize it with your supplementation and your lifestyle, and you will become unstoppable. Just a reminder, if you haven't signed up for my fasting webinar, it might be too late or you might have some time. I don't know, but head to www.intermittentfastingmasterclass.com. Hopefully you hear this on time to register for it. We will also drop a link down below in the podcast notes. If you got any value from this conversation, please consider leaving it a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and I will see you on the next episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.